Uh, great to be here this morning. Um, I thought we would kick things off uh, with a little bit of a survey for you. Uh, what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to read out six uh, very simple statements, uh, and I want you to be as honest as you can in assessing which ones are true of you. I just want you to answer true or false, uh, kind of in your mind, keep a bit of a tally, uh, and then we'll kind of see where it goes after that. Okay, statement number one, true or false, I have at least, at one point in my life, spent money unwisely. True or false? Okay, statement number two. Uh, I've at least once in my life bought something on impulse. Okay, statement number three. I've at least once compared myself financially with someone else. Statement number four. I've at least once gone overdrawn. Statement number five. I've at times felt guilt over the affluence of my lifestyle. Statement number six, there are times when I've wished that I was more generous than I am. Okay, I'm going to make the confession part of this as gentle as possible, Uh, so here's how we're going to do it. Um, How many of you answered true to at least one of those statements? Put your hand up. Okay, have a good look round. I'm not don't ashamed now. Pretty much everyone has got their hand in the air, even youngsters as well. Uh, okay, today's talk is therefore going to be relevant for absolutely everyone in the room. Because here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about how to handle our money. And just to say at the very outset, one of the things I'm hoping to accomplish in the next half an hour is to help us understand that guilt isn't at all productive when it comes to handling our money, neither is greed. It's like guilt and greed exist at different ends of the spectrum, different extremes, and I think a lot of the time we tend to bounce between the two. It's like, oh, I wish I had more than I have, and I feel so bad because of how much I've got. And at the end of the day, Neither guilt nor greed is particularly helpful. When it comes out, comes to working out how to handle our money, neither guilt nor greed is a pretty helpful motivator. But if we aren't going to be motivated by either guilt or greed, what is our motivation? How are we to view our money and possessions? Well, as we're going to see today, Jesus has a whole lot to say on this subject. In the passage we're going to be focusing in on, Jesus highlights to us the difference between the world's perspective of money and God's perspective. If you like, he shows us two different ways to find financial security. One of them, as we're going to see, is doomed to failure, and the other one, helpfully, is guaranteed to be a success. Uh, The first one, uh, just to flag it up so you know where we're going, the first one is seeking more and more stuff. The second one is seeking more and more of God's kingdom. Let's start with seeking more and more stuff. If you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Uh, While you're finding it, uh, let me just explain a bit of the context. Uh, We're told in verse 1 of Luke 12 that Jesus is addressing a crowd a little bigger than are in the room right now. It says he was addressing a crowd of many thousands. And he's teaching on a variety of subjects 
when all of a sudden there's an interruption from someone in the crowd. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then Jesus issues this incredibly strong warning to the thousands that are gathered to hear his teaching. So look at what he says. Uh, really, this is the whole point of the parable, the story he's going to go on and tell them. Verse 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, I want you to be clear on this. Jesus doesn't say here that it is evil to be wealthy. He isn't necessarily saying it's wrong to have lots of stuff. He just says that at the end of the day, you're not going to find meaning, you're not going to find fulfillment, you're not going to find ultimate satisfaction in life in your wealth and in your possessions. It's like money is amoral, it's neutral, it's neither good nor bad. You've got to have money, but Jesus warns us to watch out and be on guard for all kinds of greed, because ultimately, life isn't all about how much we earn or how much stuff we have. And so, to drive this message home, Jesus goes on to tell this pretty provocative story uh, about a high-flying businessman. Verse 16, then Jesus told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I don't know what you think. I reckon this would be great advice if all there was to this life was this life. That this would be an absolutely brilliant way to live if all there was to live for was the here and now. If there was absolutely no eternal significance or ramifications to how we handle money, this would be a particularly wise way to live. In fact, we can perhaps think of people who we know who live like this. And if we're being honest, we, we find ourselves being envious of them. But verse 20, God said to him, You fool. You fool. Now, when God says something like that, I suggest we must sit up and pay attention. We really do have to take this seriously. So let's just stop and think about this. What was this guy's fatal flaw? Why is it that God calls him a fool? Well, what do you reckon? Was it his affluence, perhaps? Well, it can't be that. 
I mean, there are many godly people, even in the Bible, who are affluent. Abraham, Solomon, David, Barnabas. God used them all in great ways. Was it what he proposed to do with his wealth? That he was going to preserve it, grow it, tear down his barn, build bigger ones? Well, sure, that just made sense. I mean, if you get a big return, isn't it good management to try to preserve it and grow it, be a good steward of it? So what was his fatal flaw? Well, let's read on. God said to him, you you will die this very night, then who will get everything you worked for? The answer is somebody else. And that's the answer for you too. Not necessarily because you're generous, but because, I don't know quite how to say this sensitively, but we're all going to die, and we're all going to have to leave everything behind. Verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Or as the New International Version puts it, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I suggest this is a whole new category for many of us. Jesus is saying that there is a way to be rich towards God with our money and our stuff. And so the reason that the rich guy was called a fool wasn't because he was rich, it was ultimately because he forgot to be rich towards God. Although he had every opportunity in his life to be rich towards God, he chose instead to view his wealth merely as a means of trying to increase his own personal pleasure in this life. And consequently, this leads to total loss. He lost everything he had here because he died, And he had nothing to show for it in the life to come because he wasn't rich towards God. It was a total loss. It's like Jesus is saying, I've enabled you to be rich in this life. Whatever you do, don't allow what I have generously and graciously given to you to distract you from relationship with me. For all the gifts I've showered on you, all the many ways I have blessed you, don't allow the gifts to distract you from the giver. Whatever you do, don't forget to be rich towards me. Because one day, you're going to run out of time. And Jesus says, if you haven't been rich towards me, you run the risk of a total loss. There's no escaping it. This is how it will be for those who store up for themselves more and more stuff but aren't rich towards God. His plans for life aren't centered on God and his will, who don't view money as he does. It's how it will be for those who erroneously think they'll find security through their money and what their money can buy. It's how it will be for those who fall for the myth that 
uh, I, I think has just plagued humans down through history, that life does consist of the abundance of our stuff. Jesus stops us in our tracks and says it doesn't. It really doesn't. It's a sobering warning. Think that way. Live that way. And God says you're a fool. No matter how much we accumulate, we're all going to die. And let's be frank, how much security is what we've accumulated going to bring us then? Absolutely none. Getting the message. Simply seeking more and more stuff isn't the way to find security. And so, let's turn our attention to the alternative, because there is an alternative, namely seeking first God's kingdom. You can imagine everyone listening to this story, listening to this parable that Jesus was telling about the rich fool and going, oh my gosh, what should we do then? What should we do as a result of this? And this is what Jesus says. This is his advice. Verse 22, then turning to his disciples, Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Then down to verse 29. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. This is pretty radical stuff. All around us, people are worrying about which pair of shoes to buy and which handbag goes with their outfit and which size screen to invest in next and which mobile to purchase and where to go on holiday and what car to drive and how they're going to pay for it all. Really, the temptation is to seek after all of these things, spending money we haven't got, and then stressing out about trying to make ends meet. You know, so many people spend most of the month dreading the credit card statement dropping through the letterbox. And so we try and work longer hours, and we spend any spare time we have searching for a better job that will pay us more money so that we can fund this insatiable desire to acquire more without ever stopping to think whether it will ever actually satisfy us. As I've tried to show you, Jesus stops us right in our tracks. For fear of repeating myself, he says, don't do it. Don't worry. Please, don't be anxious. Don't get stressed about these things. There is no need. Just don't run after them. They're not going to make you any more secure. So please, don't waste your time devoting yourself to them. Set your heart on something which will satisfy you. Something worthwhile. Something that is secure. Won't you seek first the kingdom of God? I don't think you need me to tell you 
that this is incredibly countercultural. It's completely at odds with the attitudes of our society. Really, Jesus is calling us here to be different from the rest of the world. He's urging us to wake up to the folly of our culture, which dictates, which manipulates, which molds the way we think. Effectively, he's pleading with us to replace seeking more and more stuff with seeking more and more of God's kingdom. Now, what does that mean in practice? How do we do this? How do we live this way? It's simple, really. There's something we need to stop doing, and there's something we need to start doing. Or there's something we need to do less of, something we need to do more of. First of all, as we've already seen, we need to stop focusing our quest for security on simply stockpiling more and more possessions. And second, we need to start seeing what we own and what we earn as resources with which we have the potential to advance God's kingdom. Jesus is saying, rather than seeking to feather the nest of our own personal kingdom, we're to seek to use what we have for the advancement of his kingdom. It's not that it's wrong to have stuff. It's just that we could perhaps be using it a whole lot more strategically than we currently are. So let's make this really practical. Where there's a need, we could share what we have with others. Or, even more radically, in the words of verse 33, we could sell our possessions and give to those in need. I'll give you a few examples. Rather than buying yet another pair of shoes when we've already got one shoe for every half a day or a pair of shoes for every day in the week, we could perhaps give the money to help a single mum buy shoes for her kids. Or rather than saving up for a new 100-inch paper-thin plasma screen, we could possibly make do with the 60-inch screen that we already have and give the money to help fund the Alpha course in the church. Or, if you're a student on graduating, rather than immediately, straight away, flinging yourself into the headlong pursuit of a career, and yeah, God's all for the workplace, and as a church we see the mission field in, in the workplace as much as anything else. But we could take a year out to serve in the church in some way. Or we could invest the money that we've saved up for a holiday and go and get involved in a mission context in another country for a week or two. And next time we get a pay rise, if we ever do get a pay rise, we could keep living at the level we were living at before and give it all away. You see, Jesus is calling us to adopt a whole new value system. It's not a new set of rules that result in guilt and condemnation if we don't obey them. No, it's a whole new perspective, a whole different way of looking at what really matters in life. 
Jesus puts it in verse 34. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus is saying, I don't actually need your stuff. I provided it for you in the first place. It's not like I'm impoverished in some way, in desperate need to beg you to help resource my plans. Now, what I want more than anything else is your heart. And the best way to get your heart is to get your stuff. But because so many of us have so much stuff, I think a lot of the time it's hard for our hearts not to get all bound up with it. And so the God who's responsible for giving it all to us in the first place, in his mercy, wants to help us out. He wants to give us a way out. I believe that's why Jesus gave us this challenging teaching. Now let's be real. Choosing to live this way would probably mean a whole lot of significant changes to the way that most of us live. For some of us, our whole reason for living would have to change. Maybe you're sitting there, listening to this, you're thinking, this is a pretty frightening prospect. Well, why did I come today? I'd rather not know this stuff. I mean, it's, it's too risky. Which is presumably why Jesus prefaces all of this in verse 32 with the words, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stop seeking more and more stuff. Don't be afraid to give what you have away. So I want to wrap all of this up by very quickly highlighting just two things from this passage which I think can help us overcome some of our natural fears in this whole area. Two things which should encourage us to turn our back on the seeking of more and more stuff, this perspective that our culture very much goes for, and instead follow Jesus' advice here and invest everything we have into seeking his kingdom. Here's the first thing. First thing to help us out. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. Now, I know this sounds slightly surreal, but I'm merely quoting Jesus here. Verse 24, Jesus says, look at the ravens. They they don't plant or harvest or store food. For God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Jesus says, look at the birds. You know, sometimes people say, well, he eats like a bird, or she eats like a bird, meaning they don't eat very much at all. But I heard recently that a lot of birds actually eat twice their body weight in food every day. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine eating twice your body weight in food every day? For me, that would be eating over 10 stone of food, well over 10 stone of food every day. That is a lot of food. I'm going to a barbecue later and just kind of think, that's that serious amount of meat. But you never see a bird at midnight all insecure and anxiously pacing up and down its branch going, 
I wonder if there are going to be any worms out there for me to eat tomorrow. They just go to sleep. And God says, hey, if I provide for the birds as much as they can eat, and you are much, much, much more valuable, can't you put your security in me? I will take care of you, he says. Just trust me. You see, the the whole basis of this fearless, single-minded focus on the kingdom of God in all that we do is God's promise to be there for us. We don't need to worry about all the stuff we think we need because according to verse 30, your father already knows your needs. He knows and he loves you. Whole basis of fearlessness, the, the, the basis of our whole security. It's not our human resources, it's God's resources. It's not our ability to provide, it's His. And the good news is, He is infinitely able to provide absolutely everything that we need. Do you believe it? We have a Father in heaven who owns and runs the entire universe. And he really loves giving us, providing for us, all we need. If we're first willing to express our faith in him by trusting him. Look to the birds. Second piece of advice. Also, look to eternity. Verse 33, Jesus tells us that if we seek first his kingdom, if we don't primarily live for stuff, if we instead sell our possessions, give to those in need, this will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. That is ultimate security. Jesus is saying, please, don't try to find security in your stuff, because your stuff is always going to be vulnerable. Thieves can come along and steal your stuff. Moths can come along and eat some of your stuff. It's all going to be dust one day. That that house we think we have to have, it's all going to be rubble one day. That that business we're going to spend a whole lifetime building, it's all going to be dust one day. That that financial portfolio that we're going to sweat and agonize and lose sleep over, it's just going to be dust one day. Which is why. Jesus instructs us to give to causes that are close to the heart of God. You see, when you invest your stuff that way, you are providing something in heaven that will never, ever, ever, ever wear out. You know, the guy in the parable, the the guy in the story that Jesus told, 
He did a brilliant job building his earthly portfolio, but he neglected to ask the all-important question, God, what kind of heavenly portfolio would you want me to build with some of the stuff that in your goodness and grace you have entrusted to me? And because he failed to consider that vital question, ultimately he ended up with nothing. What a tragedy. What a waste. You know, in his grace, God gives us passages like these to ensure that we today don't fall into the same trap. I want to appeal to you. Let's heed the lesson. Let's not devote our whole lives to the futile seeking of more and more stuff. Instead, let's choose to actively invest what we have in something secure, something worthwhile, something that will last. And so here's the challenge that I want you to go away and grapple with. For some of you, it will be a real battle. Here it is. Out of love for Jesus and trust in your heavenly Father, won't you resolve to seek the kingdom of God above all else? Falling out of love with things and seeking to use what you have to further God's purposes on earth. And you know what? If you do this, if you choose to live this way, if you start taking more and more adventures of faith in this whole area, then he will give you everything you need. I want to invite you to stand, if you would. It's the kind of message that probably does require some kind of response. I don't want to manipulate you into response. I, I, I merely want to ask you, if you're able to, just to close your eyes... And even now, you start the conversation with God in terms of your response. But just quietly in your mind, tell God what you're thinking right now. Maybe some of the fears you have, some of the confusion, some of the concerns, some of the needs you have that just make it really difficult for you to hear this message. It's quiet in your mind. You, you, you speak out your response to God. Be honest with him. Ask him for his help if you need it.